We come this morning to our next message in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And just in case you have not been following the series up to date, let me just quickly recap the ground that we have covered. And, and this is particularly important because we come today to this topic of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there is much confusion uh, within Christian circles. And I would suggest that much of the confusion stems from the fact that the gifts of the Spirit are usually studied or discussed in a way which is disconnected from the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit as we have been considering over the last uh, five or so weeks. And so if you've missed any of the previous sessions, I would really encourage you to go back and to, to watch or to listen to those messages off our website. I'm happy to send you the sermon notes for those previous sessions so that you can have a clear foundation on what the Scripture says uh, we will be considering then today. So we started off with the, the first uh, message on who is the Holy Spirit. And quite simply, we saw that the Holy Spirit is a person and that the Holy Spirit is God. We then moved on to the Holy Spirit in salvation. And we saw there our need to be born again and our inability to save ourselves. And we saw how the Holy Spirit acts in the work of regeneration to bring about salvation in our hearts. In the third uh, session we looked at the Holy Spirit in sanctification, this process of becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw that He transforms our wills and He transforms our minds. And He does that by revealing sin and by revealing truth and by revealing the glory of Christ. And then last time we saw the Holy Spirit in Revelation, how God spoke in the writing of Scripture recorded for us in the pages of our Bible and how, the, how God continues to speak to us today through the Holy Spirit in the reading of Scripture and uh, how, how God continues to reveal His truth to us. Now, Usually, as we come to our subject this morning, when people discuss the Holy Spirit in Christian circles, it usually tends to revolve around the, the controversial topics like speaking in tongues or, or prophecy, perhaps some of the more extreme things that we may see on, on Christian television, uh, where preachers kind of wave their hands over the congregation or, or blow over the church and, and people fall to the ground convulsing in, in fits of hysterical laughter or some people seeming to lose consciousness altogether as gold dust floats down from the ceiling. And, and we are told that, that all of these things are the supernatural moving of the Holy Spirit in the church. And so we're going to deal today with this controversial topic of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, also known as the charismata. But I want to state at the outset this morning that I'm not going to be controversial today. I'm not going to get drawn into the debate of, of what we see in the extreme corners of the charismatic movement. Because my purpose today is to look at what the Bible actually says about the gifts of the Spirit in the life and the ministry of the church. If we can focus on what the Bible actually reveals about these things, then I trust that, that you will be able to go away and discern 
For yourself, what you are seeing is taking place in much of so-called Christianity today and whether it is in line with the revelation of the Holy Spirit contained in the Scriptures. Part of our maturing as Christians is our growth in wisdom, our growth in discerning the things of God, to become more like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 who tested everything that they heard uh, against the Scriptures. And I pray that today's message will continue to help us as God's people at Honey Ridge to do that for ourselves. So our text this morning is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. This was the passage that we read together earlier. And so if you were not with us in the earlier part of the service, please can I just ask you to pause the video now, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for yourself, and then rejoin us as we come to consider this chapter together. It is a full chapter, and so we're not going to be able to go into all the details but I trust that we will be able to understand the main thrust of what Paul is teaching us about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and their proper place in the functioning of the local church. So in the first place then, I think that most people tend to get confused about the gifts of the Holy Spirit because their starting point is wrong, their focus is wrong. And so be, before Paul deals with, with what was a hot topic of controversy in the early church in Corinth, he makes sure that the focus is right. And so we see the focus of spiritual gifts in verses 1 to 3. And it's quite simple. The focus of spiritual gifts is Jesus Christ and his lordship over our lives. Let's read from verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So at the outset, Paul is drawing a contrast between Christians and pagans, between what the Corinthians once were and what the Corinthians now are in Christ. And he does so because there was a lot of confusion, a lot of misinformation, misunderstanding about spiritual gifts, just as there is today. The people of Corinth, you see, came to Christ out of a background of pagan worship, pagan idolatry, in which they were often involved in religious practices, which involved mindless ceremonies, it involved all kinds of ecstatic frenzies and, and spiritual trances and other such things. And it seems from the context that many of them were being born again, coming into the Christian church and seeking out or focusing on, on these kinds of experiences all under the, the banner of the gifts of the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts. And so Paul clears the air up front by making it clear that the true evidence of the Holy Spirit among God's people will be in their de declaration of each individual that Jesus is Lord. 
The lordship of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ in the heart of a person and over the life and ministry of the church. That is the essence of true spirituality. Jesus Christ is the focus. And this should not surprise us, for this is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to do. Back to John chapter 16, which we've looked at a number of times in this series. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. And here's verse 14, he will glorify me, says Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Paul is simply confirming to the Corinthians and to us today that wherever the Holy Spirit is active, where spiritual gifts are, are being manifest in the church, the focus will always be Jesus Christ, His glory and His Lordship over our lives. So already on the basis of this first point you have been given a crucial lens, a crucial filter to discern whether much of what is happening in the church today under the supernatural spirit of God, whether it is from God or not. Because so much of what we see out there under the banner of Christianity, under the banner of the Holy Spirit, has nothing to do with Jesus Christ or his lordship over our lives. The focus rather is on man. The focus is on the preacher. The so-called man of God. The focus is on the individuals who are seeking these experiences for themselves. And they are not seeking to glorify Jesus Christ with their lives. People who want things from God, but who don't, do not really want Jesus to make any kind of lordship demands over their lives. Think back over our series so far and compare what we have learned and how it compares to what is often proclaimed in various Christian meetings today. We learned that the Holy Spirit is a person, but what we see today is he is proclaimed as a power or a force which preachers have the power to control. We saw that the Holy Spirit is sovereign in salvation, convicting men and women of sin and judgment and righteousness. But today he is claimed to be at work in churches where the gospel is never even proclaimed. The Holy Spirit we saw empowers sanctification. He transforms us into the likeness of Christ. But his so-called movement in many churches has nothing to do with a personal holiness and a practical demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit. We saw as well that the Holy Spirit is the author and the teacher of Scripture. And yet so often... The Bible is never even opened or it is sometimes opened and used like a magical charm to quote verses completely out of context. No, says Paul, the moving and the working and the gifting of the Holy Spirit will always bring about focus and attention and glory and personal submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If that is not there, then it is not the working of the Holy Spirit. So let's not be too focused this morning on on pointing fingers at others today. Let's rather examine ourselves at Honeyridge today and ask these same questions. Is the working of the Holy Spirit evident in our lives and in, in, in our church? If so, our focus, our attention, our personal submission will all be to Jesus Christ and glorifying Him in all we do. Is that true of you this morning? Is that true of me? Is that true of us at Honeyridge? I pray that it will be. In the second place, then, Paul wants us to see the source of spiritual gifts. And we see this in verses 4 to 6 and again in verse 11. And again, the the object of this statement is quite simply God. The source of all spiritual gifts is none other than God himself. Let's see verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, as he chooses. So here we see that spiritual gifts are spiritual gifts. They are not things that we naturally possess, nor are they things that we can kind of conjure up or or work towards or accomplish through our own desire and efforts. They are spiritual, divine, supernatural gifts. And they are given to every believer by God himself. Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 8, we won't read that, but it tells us that these gifts are part of Christ's victory, which he won on the cross and which he now gives to his people through the Holy Spirit. A couple of years ago, I saw an advert from a church inviting you to attend a three-day seminar to unlock the gifts of healing and miracles which lie dormant inside us all. The more I thought about that, the more I realized how out of tune that is with the word of God. We will see later in our passage today that that Paul states categorically that the Corinthians did not all have the gift of healing or miracles, but only some had that gift. And if they had it, it is a gift which the Holy Spirit of God had given to that individual and not something which lay dormant inside each of them, which a three-day course was suddenly going to unleash. And so I thought about those people who would attend that course, who would pay the money uh, to, to learn how to have these gifts unleashed And how many of them would have gone home either disillusioned in God because the gift never surfaced or burdened with a huge inferiority complex, maybe a guilt complex that after three days they were unable to to go home and heal their loved one with cancer. And so they would have to come to the the next course that the church offered, uh, which would be a church course on growing in your faith, because that clearly must have been the problem. No, Paul makes it clear in these verses that 
spiritual gifts are various. And they lead to a variety of service and activities in the church. And all of these gifts are given to us by the sovereign choice of the Holy Spirit. It says, as he wills. So these are given. So the source of the gifts is God and the power of the gifts is from God and the activities which are accomplished through the use of the gifts is from God, then let's remember our first point this morning that the focus in all of this gifting remains the same. The glory of Jesus Christ and his lordship over our lives. Now in the third place we come to to what is probably the, the area of most Misinformation and confusion on this topic in modern Christianity, namely the purpose of spiritual gifts. Verse 7. Let's see what Paul says. Verse 7. To each, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now this verse reveals the sinfulness of men's hearts on both sides of the, the so-called charismatic divide. For at the heart of, of our sinful hearts is the sin of self, of selfishness, the pride of, of self-worship. And this is why I believe that there is so much confusion and distortion of God's word on this topic of spiritual gifts. On the one extreme, those who chase after the, the charismatic experiences of the Spirit, it is often the sin of, of selfishness and greed and pride. It's a desire to be given power from God, gifts by God for the individual's personal benefit. But then there are others on the other extreme in churches where the gifts of the Spirit are, are kind of totally frowned upon and ignored, where the same sin of selfishness fuels an exact opposite response to the gifts of the Spirit. How is that possible? We see people in those churches fully grasp the implications of verse 7 and realize that Paul is saying that with regards to spiritual gifts, there is nothing in it for you. It is all for the benefit of others. And so their sin of selfishness causes them to then lose interest in desiring to see God at work in them, to see God's spirit moving in them, because it will mean that they will have to give of themselves sacrificially to the service of others in the church. One group pursues it because they want it for themselves. The other group ignores it because they don't want to use the gifts for the purpose for which they were given, which is the service of others. And sadly, today, much of the mudslinging between these two groups when it comes to this topic of the gift of the Spirit comes from, from these camps who in reality are both struggling with the same sin of selfishness and, and pride in their hearts. So here in verse 7, Paul makes a very simple and yet profound statement. To each, to every believer is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In other words, every Christian is given at least one spiritual gift. And that gift is meant to be used in the context of the local church for the common good of the body of Christ. For the benefit of others. 
And this is the main point that, that Paul is making in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and you can go and read that this afternoon, when he looks at the whole issue of, of speaking in tongues in the Corinthian church. We, we're going to come back to that topic next week, where he assist, insists again and again that all use of spiritual gifts is meant for the, the building up, for the benefit of others in the body of Christ. The focus is not on the individual, but it is on Jesus Christ and the body of Christ and building up the kingdom of God. So every person then who becomes a Christian, who is regenerated, who's made alive by the Holy Spirit, who, who has the Spirit of God to come and live within him or her, every one of us is given a spiritual gift or gifts which empower you to be useful in glorifying Jesus Christ. How? By serving others in the church. Let me repeat that slowly. Every person who becomes a Christian is given spiritual gifts which empower you to glorify Jesus Christ by serving others in the church. Now, this statement totally blows against probably 95% of what goes on in Christianity today, especially in the, the kind of consumer-driven approach to, to the way people choose a church, which is to see if the church meets my needs. Does the church teach what I like? Does the church serve my family and my children? What am I going to get out of joining Honey Ridge Baptist Church? Paul says that every believer is given the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to live within you, to empower you with unique individual spiritual gifts so that you can then plug into the local body where there are huge needs and huge problems and huge gaps so that you can be a blessing and a benefit to the rest of the body of Christ. Now this is exactly the opposite to the way most people choose a church today. Let's not focus again too much on what other people are doing out there because you are here today. And for most of you, Honey Ridge is your home church. How does verse 7 impact your thinking about spiritual gifts and your involvement in the Honey Ridge Baptist Church? God has brought you to this church and in His sovereignty... He has given you supernatural gifts with power from the Holy Spirit so that you can use those gifts in this church for the common good and the building up of the body of Christ at Honey Ridge. So I need to ask you this morning, what are you doing to exercise your gifts in the church where God has placed you? And if you're a visitor today just tuning into our service, but you belong to another church the same question applies to you. What are you doing to plug into your local church to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to you for the benefit of that local congregation? What are you doing to discover and grow and nurture the gifts that God has given you so that the body of Christ 
can benefit more and more. According to God's word this morning, every one of us who is born again has the Spirit of God living within us and we've been granted these wonderful supernatural gifts that Jesus won through his victory on the cross. He's given them to us to be used in the church for the benefit of others. I want to be bold enough this morning to say that you cannot claim to be born again of the Spirit, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to be empowered with gifts by the Spirit of God and yet function as a Lone Ranger Christian who is disconnected from the body of Christ, who is disconnected from the local church, which is the very bride of Jesus Christ. The church is Christ's most precious possession. How can you claim to have the very Spirit of Christ in you whose goal and purpose it is through your life to glorify Christ and yet you remain disconnected from the church, not using the gifts that the Spirit has given you for the benefit of the body of the bride of Christ? It it totally goes against Paul's argument here in 1 Corinthians 12. Now that we've considered the, the focus of spiritual gifts, and the source of spiritual gifts, and the purpose of spiritual gifts, you, you may come to the point and say, okay, hang on, Clinton, what are the spiritual gifts? And so in the fourth place, I, I want us to see the diversity of spiritual gifts in verses 8 to 10, and again, verse 27 to 30. Now, before we look at these verses, it is safe to say that, that most commentators agree that the lists that Paul gives us here are not meant to be exhaustive lists, but rather they are lists of of typical gifts, or perhaps these were the particular gifts uh, that were relevant to the situation in Corinth. There are other passages in the New Testament which also list various gifts of the Spirit. We've got Romans 12, verse 6 to 8. We've got Ephesians 4, verse 11. Uh, And even here in 1 Corinthians 12, we see that Paul gives us two lists, one in verse 8 to 10 and another in verses 27 to 30. And in these two lists, there is overlap and yet they are separate. So let's read verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to one Faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And jump down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church. You see there's the, the context of the use of the gifts. We're not speaking here about the the universal church of all Christians. This is clearly the local church. God has appointed firstly apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, we don't have time today to to look in detail at these lists and to explore any of the other lists this morning. But what we can see is that there is a, a wide variety or diversity of gifts by the one Holy Spirit to the individual members which make up the church. 
And within the diversity of these lists, we see a whole range of, of gifts that cover the very public to the very private. And we could probably call them the spiritual or the practical. But I don't like those terms spiritual gifts or practical gifts because all of the gifts of the Spirit are spiritual and are to be used practically in the context of the local body of Christ in order, again, to bring glory to Christ. So really, all the gifts are spiritual and all the gifts are practical because they are given to edify the church for the common good of each other. And so I want you to see that although there is some distinction between what we may call the public gifts, like teaching and preaching or prophecy, and then the less public gifts like helping or administration, nevertheless, these wide-ranging gifts come from the same Spirit. They're given to the church for the same purpose as we've already considered. So we should be cautious to kind of put out a, a definitive list of the gifts of the Spirit which are, meant to, uh, which are given to us in the Scriptures, uh, mentioned in the, in the Bible. But what we can see is that all of these gifts that are listed in the various places in the Scripture are, are different categories of service, and edification. They can be expanded then into many detailed areas of gifts which may not specifically be mentioned. So as we try and kind of put it, pull it all together from the various portions that I've mentioned, we see prophecy, including preaching, uh, is one category, serving or, or deaconing, uh, the practical service of any kind. So gifts like hospitality uh, and care would fall under that. We have the gift of teaching, the ability to accurately convey the truth of God's word in a way that people can understand. Then there's the, the spiritual upbuilding, encouraging, exhortation uh, ministry in the church. There's the gift of giving uh, financially or in terms of your time and your expertise to mentor and disciple others. There's the gift of leadership. We see a category of gifts covering mercy and compassion and sympathy and sensitivity. Then we have what's known as the word of wisdom, the uh, ability to apply biblical truths to specific situations. There's the word of knowledge, understanding the deep things of God and being able to communicate that. There's the gift of faith, this unbreakable confidence in God and in his word and his promises. And, and that's often linked to the gift of prayer or to the, those that are truly um, committed to God in prayer. Is the discerning of the spirits a, a unique gift to discern error from truth, again linked to wisdom and perhaps knowledge. The gift of tongues or foreign languages and the interpretation of these tongues. The ability to communicate God's truth to people in a language which is foreign to the, the speaker. And then very practically the gift of help, which is a very broad area, spiritual help, emotional help, practical help. A real empathy to come alongside people and to help them in life. So you can see the diversity then of these spiritual gift categories and, and recognize then that there would be very specific gifts that fall under these categories. I just want to make a, a brief comment about the gift of healing and miracles. Today, unfortunately, most of the focus when we talk about spiritual gifts is on these two gifts, healing and miracles. And I do believe that these were sign gifts 
given to authenticate the apostles for the very unique role that they had to play in establishing the early church and particularly their role in the writing of Scripture, which we considered last week. And, and with the completion of the canon of Scripture, this apostolic era has, has ended. And so with the apostolic era having ended with the passing away of the disciples, the apostles, so too this need to authenticate them as God's spokesman through healing and miracles has also passed away. But please don't misunderstand me here. I absolutely do believe that God still heals, that God still does miracles today. But this is very different to what we are talking here about individuals who had a specific abiding gift of healing and miracles in the context of the church. Because their purpose in authenticating the message of God uh, in the writing of scripture has now ceased. Sadly today, usually when the so-called gift of healing is seen in Christian circles, where is it seen? It's not seen in the hospital wards of the terminally ill. It's not seen among the sick or the dying in our church community or in our rural communities. It's seen in big television church campaigns where much attention is given to the healer, to sowing seeds of money to the church as evidence of your faith in order to be healed. And I do not believe that this has anything to do with what we see regarding this gift of healing among the apostles in the New Testament. So with that said, every one of the diverse gifts mentioned in the New Testament has its purpose in the building up of the church, the edification, the, the common good of the body of Christ, so that Jesus will be most glorified in us and through us, and so that we will all become more and more conformed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives. In other words, the, the varied gifts of the Spirit are part of God's sanctification in our own lives as we humbly use the gifts that we've been given to serve others. And that helps them in their process of sanctification. Any, any so-called gift of the Spirit which is not used to serve others and to glorify Christ, which does not result in our sanctification and the sanctification of others in the church, does not measure up against the biblical teaching of the gifts and the purpose of the Holy Spirit as given to us here in 1 Corinthians 12. I want you to also notice verse 29 and 30. When Paul says, you know, do all have this gift? Do, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? And so on. And the, the clear implication to these or the implied answer to these questions is absolutely not. Each person has a unique gifting which God has given to them in the context of the specific church in order to meet the needs of that local congregation. So inherent to Paul's flow, his logic in this passage is the exhortation to use the gifts that God has given to you. Do not worry about the gifts that God has not given to you or the gifts that God may have given to someone else. 
Focus on what God has given to you to use in the context of this church so that this church will grow and be edified to become more and more like Christ. And so there's also a warning here. That we don't try to take some gifts, as is done in some churches, and to kind of make them the norm for all Christians. Insisting that, that God has given specific gifts to every believer. That is simply not true. And I'm speaking here particularly of how this is done in some churches, where they insist that every true Christian must speak in tongues. Paul says in verse 30, do all speak in tongues. And the Implied answer is no, they don't. And so we need to remember that God is the sovereign giver of the gifts. And he gives them as he chooses, as he knows the church needs them. And he may remove some giftings and give different ones as the ministries of the church may require. Our concern as individuals should be to make sure that we are exercising our spiritual gifts faithfully for the common good of the church, for the extension of God's kingdom. Whatever gift God has chosen to give to you, to serve him with all eagerness and joy in the body of Christ. Very importantly, and we're almost done this morning, I want you to see that a church is not a bunch of lone ranger Christians, each with diverse giftings, running around doing their own things to the glory of God. That would be total chaos. We will see in, in probably next week that chapter 14, verse 40, Paul reminds the Corinthians, God is a God of order, not chaos. Our gifts have been given to be used together for the building up of the body. And so sandwiched between the two passages that we've considered today on the, the diversity of the gifts, we see a long section then on the unity of spiritual gifts. Look at verses 12 to 26. We won't read this section, it's a long section, but it's a well-known illustration which Paul gives of the church being the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is made up of many parts. And each part has diverse and distinct giftings and, and functions that those parts perform. And yet together, there is one head, there is one master, that is Jesus Christ. And we are united into this single living body of Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit within each one of us. Just let's look at verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. This unity in diversity extends not only to the functioning of the various parts of the body, but to the sharing in the sufferings and the afflictions of the body, as we also share in the glory and the honor of the one body. 
There is a common purpose under the headship of Christ in order to bring glory to Him. As the Holy Spirit works in each one of us as individual members, He causes us to serve one another, to, to care for one another, to love one another, so that the whole body might be built up in maturity and effectiveness under the head who is Christ. I want to quote from Jeff Thomas at this point, who makes a reference to a whole long list of all the one another passages in Scripture in the New Testament. And you can go and do a, a study of that yourself. Go and look up all the one another passages in Scripture. And in the light of those, Jeff Thomas says this, How overwhelming is the responsibility to one another in the church? How are you doing in serving fellow Christians? They will not get such service from the world, only from fellow believers. Oh, now you say that you are too weak or too busy or deficient in certain gifts. Well, by nature, you may not have the gifts, but you do have the Holy Spirit who gives you a rich variety of gifts that enable you to serve one another. When God gives gifts to his people, they are not a mark of exalted spiritual privilege. They are not given to you uh, to, to, to give you status as a minister or for your own personal edification or enjoyment or distinction. Spiritual gifts are given to you to make you a better servant of other Christians in your congregation. The greatest among you shall be the servant of all, said Jesus. And he sends the Holy Spirit to enable you to serve. Isn't it so sad then that we see gifted people leave the church because they couldn't get along with others in the church. Because they saw their gifting as a kind of a right to exercise a position of status over others instead of seeing their gifting as the means to humbly serve others in the body of Christ. Well, where do we go from here? Should we, as a church, organize a, a special workshop to identify your spiritual gifts? Should we plan a seminar to, to help you develop your spiritual gifts? There's nothing wrong with those things. But after all of, of this talk about spiritual gifts and using your spiritual gifts to serve God by serving His people, what is the next step for us? Well, I want us to see... In the final place that Paul tells us that there is a more excellent way. Look at verse 31. I will show you a still more excellent way. We don't have time to, to consider that more excellent way today except to read the first few verses of, of the next chapter, chapter 13. Paul says, if I speak, and notice what he's going to do here, he's going to make mention to a whole host of the spiritual gifts that he's been talking about in chapter 12. But listen to what is the more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, 
I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The way of love is the most excellent way of the Christian. And here we see how the the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit go hand in hand. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, what does it start with? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the primary evidence that you are a Christian, that God is at work in you. The gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, yes. God empowers you to to do great things for, for Him and for His kingdom and for His people. But all of those gifts are useless, says Paul. Utterly worthless if you do not have love. Love for God. First and foremost, it's, it's always about your personal relationship and love for God. And then love, secondly, for his people. And then love, thirdly, for the lost who need to be brought in. And so here we come full circle this morning to, to where we started at the beginning with the focus being back on Jesus Christ. Do you want to know true spirituality? Do you want to know the the power of God in your life and in your family and in the ministries of this church? Do you desire spiritual gifts from God so that you can faithfully serve Jesus Christ and His church? If so, and I pray that is your desire today, then take your eyes off yourself and look to Jesus Christ this morning. Let me close as we consider the words of John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, speaking horizontally, does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. May God help us as the Honey Ridge Baptist Church to grow in the more excellent way in our love for Jesus Christ, in our love for one another, and in our love for the lost in our city. And as we do that, God has promised in His Word that He will give to this body of Christ here in Johannesburg every spiritual gift that we need 
to serve, to care for, to encourage, to build up, to instruct each other in the ways of God. So that Jesus Christ will be glorified in our midst. That the kingdom of God will grow and that the lost and the dying in Johannesburg will be reached by God's love for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. This task is too great for us. But praise God, he has given us his Holy Spirit to do exactly that. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we we come before you this morning again and we just want to come and humbly submit ourselves to you today. We want to surrender our lives to you, that we would be all that you have intended for us to be in Christ and through the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us where we have had such a self-centered twisted view of the gifts of the Spirit, wanting these things for our own personal gain and and edification and benefit. Forgive us too if there are some amongst us who have recognized the servant nature of your gifts and due to that same spirit of selfishness have wanted nothing to do with your Holy Spirit because of what it will mean in serving others. Lord, won't you convict us of our sin today? Won't you cause us to repent of these things? And, and where we have received gifts from you and not used them faithfully in the context of the body of Christ here at Honeyridge or whoever may be watching in their local congregations, we pray, Lord God, that we would repent and, and seek to, from today, actively seek to serve you in the body of Christ here in our local church that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for your glory, that you would give us a love for you and a love for one another and a love for the lost in our city. It can never be quenched. And that you would empower us through the unique gifting of your Holy Spirit to be the light that you have called us to be here in Johannesburg, that the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ might shine forth boldly as we, we go our separate ways, as we go into the workplace, as we interact with family and neighbors and unbelievers in our, in our schools and at university. Oh, Lord God, that we would radiate the love of Jesus Christ uh, as we seek to, to witness to them of what you have done in us. So we pray, Lord, that, that we as the church here at Honeyridge would crave the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be at work among us. Forgive us, Holy Spirit, where we have quenched you, where we have boxed you, where we have excluded you, where we have ignored you. Won't you please come and fill us and move amongst us and equip us to glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do. For we pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Well, as we close our service today, we've had the special joy over the past six or seven months during lockdown to learn a whole number of new worship songs, which I am sure will become part of our corporate worship uh, as a church in the months and the years ahead. And today we, we're going to end with a wonderful new hymn. 
the tune takes a little bit of getting used to, but uh, it's not difficult, and I hope you'll pick it up quickly. It's called Magnificent, Marvelous, Matchless Love. It's a hymn of praise to God for His love for us in Christ and a call for us to then live our lives in response to that love. So let's join together as we end our service in worshiping our great God of love. May you have a good week and may the Lord bless you as you go out and seek to shine his love and his light to those around you. Amen.